You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Doug Cobb. He is the managing partner at The Finishing Fund, and he's the author of And Then the End Will Come. Doug, thanks for being on the show. So good to be with you. Thank you for inviting me to be on. Yeah, of course. I'm excited for this conversation. Um, can you tell us a little bit about The Finishing Fund just to get us started and share why you think it's so important that there is a fund or at least some type of investment specifically targeted towards supporting unreached and unengaged people groups? I think maybe the most important thing that's happening in the world today that most people don't know about is that God's people, his church around the world is rapidly closing in on uh, seeing the gospel go to every people group on the face of the earth. Um, I have been involved in the ministry of finishing the task for uh, 10 years or so and have seen how God is working to, to complete that, that task, to finish the task of disciples in every nation, every ethnos, as the Greek says, every people group on the face of the earth. Four years ago, God put on my heart that one of the things I might be able to do to help with that would be to create a funding vehicle um, that would allow interested believers to come together, pool resources, and fund ministries that wanted to go to one or more unengaged people groups with the gospel. And that's what the Finishing Fund is. It's a partnership of of uh, donors who've come together around that mission. And, um, you know, our hope was that we would be an accelerant to the, the completion of the task by helping ministries get started faster because they don't have to go out and raise the money on their own mm-hmm. to help do that. And um, that has, I think, proven to be true. God has been incredibly gracious to me and to us. And, you know, we have just seen amazing things happen over these last four years as the gospel gets closer and closer to every nation on the face of the earth. Yeah. So what was your role at the finishing task? Just to, um, like, like, did, was that a big part of sparking your interest in this, this, topic or, or genre or where we want to call this? Yeah, it was. Um, I got involved in finishing the task because uh, Paul Eshelman, who has been my mentor for a number of years, invited me to be a part of it as a volunteer. I was on the board for a while. I I had a business card for a while as a volunteer doing some some development work and just helping in various ways, you know, kind of whatever needed to be done was part of the annual conferences and different events we would have. Um, most significantly, though, it was through FTT that my wife and I began personally to give toward this mission of uh, getting the gospel to unengaged groups. And it was the experience of doing that under Paul's direction, under the you know, umbrella of FTT, mm-hmm. the experience of doing that, that, you know, just fired me up about spending even more time and creating something more formal that would 
uh, be directed in the same in the same uh, for the same mission. So mm. um, really through FTT, I had the experience of seeing this happen and wanted to share that with with other people. Wonderful. And what is your background? Like, how'd you, how'd you get into this? Yeah, I'm a business field? guy. Um, you know, my, my career has been in startups and growth companies, um, sometimes as a founder, sometimes as a investor, sometimes as an independent board member. You know, I, Louisville, Kentucky, where I live is not exactly the hotbed of entrepreneurship, but there's <laughs> enough interesting things happening here. And I was privileged to be involved in a number of them that, you know, I had a, a good career in that space. And, Got to do a lot of things that I dreamt about when I was younger, so that was really fun. And um, but over the last ten years or so, my you know trajectory has been away from business and toward ministry, and now really to the point where I'm more or less full time doing the the role of the finishing fund managing partner. So you know that that's kind of a change of direction, maybe a, a half time thing. If anybody's read that book by Bob Buford, a kind of a transition in later life and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I still have to do a little bit of business stuff, but um, mostly I, I spend my time on ministry things now. That's cool. So uh, a career of, of business management and business growth and kind of the Lord preparing you for this, this next season of your life. You know, if you, if you think about it, um, the, the finishing fund is, for all intents and purposes, a venture capital fund for this mission yeah. of the great commission right so the instead of having investors we have donors um but we treat them like partners like a venture capital fund would instead of investing in startups our money goes toward projects to engage mm-hmm. people groups um but in the same way a venture capital fund helps connect interested investors with needy startups we connect interested donors with needy ministries and yeah. um, you know it's a it's a very similar thing so what i see <laughs> in this stage of life is how god is recycling a whole bunch of stuff that he taught me in other phases of life for reasons uh-huh. i did not understand at the time you know were going to be important later but now i see you know his hand at work steering me to a lot of those things it's it's actually incredibly encouraging that's cool that the idea of a, a venture capital firm for ministries and specifically for unreached unengaged people group ministries that's that's so cool i love I'm that careful who i use that with you know I, I don't want to offend any of your listeners the some people think of you know vulture capital they don't they don't have good <laughs> about venture capital so sometimes i'll i'll say we're a mutual fund or sometimes i'll say we're a you know a reit you know a real estate investment trust depending on who the person is and where, where they come from in their yeah this walk but it, it's all sort of the same thing bringing you know, a group of donors together uh, toward a particular um, mission, you know, certain focus that we, we've had. Yeah, I, I think it's so funny how the, so much of the ministry space is leery to use business or marketing terms when it comes to ministry. And like, at the end of the day, they're just terms, right? I mean, guilty as charged, <laughs> right? But that's where I come from. So it seems very natural. Right. To me. And, and actually, it's interesting, you know, most of my uh, donors, we call them partners, but most of them also have a business background, not, not all, but many of them do. And right. So, so the terminology know, just makes sense. Yeah, it the audience. Right. Exactly. Right. So uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool how that all, all fits together. Yeah. Yeah. So as you've moved into this sphere, what is, um, what are some of the unique challenges and struggles you guys have run into developing and managing the fund? Cause I mean, there's, there's other 
probably similar, similarly structured funds out there, but um, I don't know if I've ever heard of any that are specifically focused on unreached, un- unengaged people groups. There are a few, um, not not on that focus. A few, you know, focused on other areas, similarly modeled, but not as many as you would think. It's actually kind of a new model, uh, and one of the things. I've had to learn to do overcome is how to explain to people that we don't really do anything, right? We, we take money in and send money out. We're not an actual engaging ministry ourselves. And so that's a little bit of a stretch sometimes for folks. They, they don't quite, um, you know, get that. Um, you know, probably the hardest thing was like any startup, we didn't have anything to show, uh, for ourselves that first year, you know, it was all, it was all smoke and mirrors. It was all hopes and dreams. I, I was sure. Man, I relate we, to that. Yeah. I was, I was sure that we, there was an opportunity here. And fortunately, a couple of friends were quick to say yes. And, you know, we got enough capital to begin doing some investments and showing some results. Um, hmm. I've always jokingly said that the last dollar we raise will be the easiest one because, you know, we'll have so many uh, relationships by then and so much to show for what we've done. Uh, I think that's sort of proving to be true. You know, we're finding God just is opening doors and introducing us to folks and, you know, bringing things to our attention that, um, uh, you know, I, I could not imagine. So it's, yeah. it's been amazing. Actually, you know, probably one of the main things <clears throat> I should say about the finishing fund is it, it has probably been the, the, the biggest faith building experience of my life. I have seen God work both in helping me to secure the resources that we need, but at least as importantly, uh, you know, in the work around the world that we're sponsoring, it is just astounding to see what God is doing around the world. And, um, you know, just daily really increases my faith that this is a mission that we will complete, that we're going to complete it soon, I think. And, you know, that nothing really is going to stand between God and the accomplishment of this task. Yeah, that's so cool that you get to be like on the at, have like a front row seat to what he's doing and and like at the frontier of of his movement towards this and redemptive goal. Yeah, I feel like I have a uh, a front row seat in the stadium watching the church sprint to the finish line. You know, uh, like, that's cool. Like I'm in the Olympic Stadium. There's you know hundreds of thousands of people, but I've got the best seat in the house, and um, <laughs> you know get to watch that happening. And, um, you know, it is, it, like I say, it's just very faith building. Yeah, I bet. So what's the vetting process an organization goes through in order to become a, a ministry partner on the, on the, on a ministry end? So we collect a lot of information, you know, we ask them to tell us about their board and their finances and their history and, you know, um, a lot more, more about, you know, kind of their experience with the kind of work we're going to be doing together it's kind of specialized. Not everybody, not everybody who is interested in it is capable of doing it. Um, many of the ministries we work with are already known to us as a result of being a part of the uh, finishing the task network. So we started with a big head start because we, you know, already had uh, relationships with um, those many of those ministries. Uh, we're at the point now where we're networked enough that. Pretty much anybody that we meet who's interested, um, we we know somebody that knows them and can you know sort of ask a few questions, check them out. So there's some of that that takes place. Mm. We also follow a principle that it's a biblical principle, but it's also one that I learned about you know learned practically in 
the startup world is um, kind of the idea of faithful and little, faithful and much, right? So if you are starting with somebody new, start small, do something simple together. Um, you know, don't get out over your skis. If they prove faithful and capable, then you can accelerate, you do more. If not, you've lost a little bit, but you haven't lost too much. And so um, you know, we have been very, very fortunate that really we've had really no examples of that so far. Everybody, all the ministry partners we've worked with have been incredibly faithful. Um, some are better than others at the work. You know, I could rank them, but no, from great to, to good, but really there are none that have been, have been poor at this. We've been, we've been very blessed about that. So, so a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And we feel like we have a pretty good, you know, sense of who, who these ministries are and what they can do. Hmm. So for example, like if I and my wife decided, Hey, we want to go be missionaries to a, a, a people group that has not been engaged or, and has not reached, we wouldn't come under you guys. We would come under one of the ministries that you guys support, right? Correct. And, you know, interestingly, even that probably wouldn't happen because virtually all of the frontline workers in the work we're supporting are not Westerners, but are national missionaries. So oh, it's, interesting. it's Laotian believers going to a people group in Laos or uh, Indian believers going to a people group in India. We, we call those workers near culture workers. Um, they are so much more acclimated to the places that they yeah. need to go than you or I would be and um, speak not the heart language of the group they're going to see, but uh, a shared language that allows them directly to communicate with um, those folks. And so uh, that has both very high benefits of effectiveness. The, the, these workers are more effective than Westerners would would be. But also, it's way more efficient. We we can send. It varies a little bit from place to place in the world, but as a kind of a rule of thumb, we can send two workers for three years to a people group, uh, including training and transportation, for about thirty thousand dollars total. Uh, mm. And you know, if you or I wanted to go, it would cost us that much just to get to the place where we wanted to go. Right by the time right. we moved our stuff and done all the things we needed to do, and so. There's a financial um, efficiency in the work that is is really powerful, but even more yeah. for me, even more beautiful. It you know what we're what we get to be a part of is a lot is a great illustration of what God's kingdom should and will look like. It's you know the church everywhere in the world coming together, bringing what we can each bring uh, to accomplish the mission that God has given all of us and. I really love that part of this. I find it, um, you know, really inspiring. Give me a picture of what we're going to really get to enjoy for all eternity with our mm -hmm. our brothers and sisters from every tribe, nation, and people. You know, so is that a prerequisite for the ministries that come under partnership and, and investment from from you guys? Is that they are working with nationally based missionaries? It, it, we've we've got we've made a couple of exceptions to that. There's certain times when it is there's no advantage to that. And, you know, if a Westerner is willing, then we'll do that, but we'll send them. But, uh, but like out of 550 people group engagements, I think that's happened now twice. So it's, you know, by far the, the rule. And it just uh -huh. seems to be the way most of this work is getting done. Rarely do we have 
in fact, I'm not sure, you know, I can think of many cases where we've been presented with a project that involved Westerners. There have been a couple, but, um, uh, you know, mostly this is kind of the model for these, for the ministries that are working at the very frontier. They've figured this out already, and this is the, this is the way they work. Interesting. That's cool. Um, what are maybe some of your three to five year goals you guys are shooting for? And, and what have you seen lately that um, God is doing that really excites you as you guys move towards some of those goals? One of the things that really excites me is that, um, you know, as you get close to the edge, you figure out where the edge really is. Um, you know, all of the research that a lot of smart people have worked very, very hard to accumulate. It's a fantastic starting place. And it often proves to be, you know, pretty amazingly accurate, but, um, you, you really find out where you are when you go. Um, and so I think we understand better where the edge is now than we have ever understood it. And so the, the problem, if you will, is coming into focus in a way that it has not been, you know, even four years ago when we started with the fund. So that's a great encouragement. Um, I am, uh, I, I say this uh, without a hint of presumption, this is by God's grace, but my ambition is to see if we can't be started in all the remaining groups by the end of next year. Wow. Um, we, the, the list we run, we work from is published by Finishing the Task, FTT. Um, that list now is down um, the published list to 115 groups, but there's a few that should be on there that aren't. I think the number is not quite 300, maybe 285 or something like that. I, I don't mean to be coy. I just, it moves around literally day to day as we get new research. Right. Um, but I, I believe that we'll have, you know, maybe the first third of those uh, projects underway before the end of this year. And then next year, my, my prayer is that we'll be able to start in all the remaining groups. So um, right now, my focus is, you know, on seeing if we can't accomplish that by God's grace. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if we will. Uh, it, it's his, his job, not my job. But, um, right. I, you know, I find that, at least to me, to be very, very motivating. And I think it's exciting for people to hear that that, you know, might be possible. There, there's a few that I don't know how we're going to get to. There's a people group in the Indian Ocean uh, called the Sentinelese. They, they live on an island, North Sentinel Island. They are very hostile. They kill anybody who comes to their island. I don't know how we're going to do that. I, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't have any idea how we're going to get that uh, done, but um, God knows. And, you know, I'm just hoping that um, this next year is going to be really a key year in, in seeing that accomplished. That's cool. Well, that's a good transition because I want to talk about your book and then the end will come. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the book and why you decided to write it? The book really flows out of my work with FTT and the Finishing Fund. Um, one of the things I discovered through my involvement with FTT was what I call the promise of Matthew twenty four fourteen. 14. Um, Jesus' disciples ask him at the beginning of that chapter, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he answers that chapter's got a lot of familiar stuff in it about earthquakes and famines and pestilence and apostasy, you know, a lot of things mm -hmm. in there. But in verse 14, he, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to every nation, all nations, and then the end will come. And so uh, as I read that, 
Jesus is saying, look, I've given you a job to do. Go and make disciples of every nation. And when you're finished with it, that will open the door to my return. Well, I found that incredibly exciting. Um, you know, the idea that we had a big hint like that about what needed to be accomplished and the chance that our generation might be the one to see that work done and therefore might be the generation to see the return of Jesus. And that set me off kind of on a little personal adventure, you know, journey of discovery to see if there were if there was anything else that I could find in the scripture that kind of similarly pointed to Jesus return sometime in the next, say, you know, decade, not to put a date on it, but, you know, kind of in, in a, a 10 year period and actually found a number of other clues that I think are, you know, powerful also um, that seem to indicate that we are living in the, in the season of the Lord's return as, as predicted biblically. And so that was kind of for my own education, right? I was kind of interested in it. And so, but then last summer, uh, summer of 2020, uh, I just was sitting at my desk one day and God said, you know, you really need to write this down. Uh, I really had not intended to do that before. And so, okay. So that was the beginning of the journey of the, of the book and resulted in, and then the end will come. Of course, the title coming directly from that Matthew 24, 14 promise. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Man, do you, do you think the church has lost maybe a sense of urgency of being obedient to the task that we've been given? Or do you find that that's a unique struggle of the Western church? Yeah, that's a great question. And the way you frame it is a great answer because, you know, I think there is growing divergence between the church in the West and the church in the rest of the world. Um, I think the church in the rest of the world, many, much of it is keen about this, this assignment uh, and excited about it and, you know, hopeful about it because they experience things that we have not historically experienced here in the West persecution and hardship difficulties. You know, it's very difficult to be a follower of Jesus in many parts of the, of the world. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm disheartened by the fact that, um, Barna says that maybe one Christian in six in the pews of our churches, evangelical churches, one in six, um, can tell you with, you know, a decent definition what the great commission even is. Mm. Uh, and I, I will tell you that's borne out by my experience of talking to a lot of people about the book and about the finishing fund. I think, you know, people are generally unaware uh, about this, about the mission. Uh, they're certainly unaware about, you know, the progress that's being made, what's happening around the world in this regard. So, you know, I start off by saying the most important thing that's happening that people don't know about. I, I really think that's true. It's really important. It's a big job that Jesus gave his church a long time ago. We're getting close to being done. Finishing it, I think, has major implications and kind of nobody <laughs> knows that, that it's happening. So uh, it's a it's a um, it's fun to be, you know, one of the things I get to do is to talk to people about this. And I really, really like doing that because there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged right now, especially if you're a believer in you know, the West. Uh, and I think, you know, the news that these things are happening is um, is very encouraging and helps helps people to get their eye on the prize. You know, um, Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter four, therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. 
and it's hard to look at what's unseen. You know, it's obviously, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of, you know, a deliberately, intentionally mm-hmm. uh, impossible thing that Paul tells us to do. But um, I think our problem, many of our problems come from looking at things that are temporary but seem real and not looking at things that are invisible and therefore seem unreal but are real in a way that, um, you know, the things of this world are not. So, Yeah. Well, I haven't read the book yet, but I imagine – some of your focus was maybe behind behind the book and writing it was a desire to like ignite a hope and a longing for Christ's return. And like I, the, the early church was just so expectant that Christ would return yep. any day, right? Their, their Maranatha cry, their come Lord Jesus cry was a significant part of every Christian's worship experience. And so do you think we've lost some of that urgency as we, as, as his return has gone from, years to centuries and centuries to millennia. Like it just seems like it's a lot longer than we originally thought it was going to be. Yeah. In second Peter chapter three, you know, Peter talks about, um, you know, scoffers will come in the last days. Where's the promise of his coming? You know, uh, history of the world has gone on from the beginning, just as it is, you know, the, you know, he says people forget, right. That there was once Mm -hmm. a flood and that God has promised, again, that he will judge sin. So I do think that there is some of that kind of complacency um, that we're lulled to sleep by God's patience and by the the very long spans of time over which he works. And so, you know, people are not expectant about it. I, I think there's another problem too, though, which is our lives in the West are, and you know, certainly have been, and I think still are very safe and easy and comfortable Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of hard for us to imagine what could be better than this. Um, yeah. You know, we don't have to scratch out a living day to day like, you know, the majority of the people who have ever lived have had to do. And um, and so it is, you know, easy for us to sort of think, well, you know, I'm not so sure I'm ready to go anyplace else. But yeah, one of the things I talk about in the book is the idea that, you know, God's word says that you know, nobody has even imagined, no eye has seen, no ears heard, and nor has the mind of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I just tell people all the time, you know, no matter how good your life is or how good you hope it's going to become, you know, it does not compare to what life is going to be like in the kingdom of God. It's it's going to be beyond, literally beyond our imagination. Yeah. <clears throat> well, to play... Because I, I kind of lean and would agree with the premise of your book and, and where you land on end time stuff. But just to play devil's advocate, I've heard it argued that there have been a couple of times throughout history that where we thought we were close to finishing the task, where mm-hmm. um, the gospel being shared in every continent, the gospel being shared in every country, those that um, make this argument often say that we continue to redefine how quote unquote nations is translated. And so they would they would argue that we're now defining nations as every language group. And some have said that now we've moved into a digital world. We've got an entirely new definition of nations as they're now entirely new subcultures within a digital context. And so um, they would even argue that Christ never gave us the tasks of worrying about finishing what he started, but rather he just wanted us to focus simply on being obedient to go and make disciples. So what mm-hmm. would you say to some of those arguments? Yeah, those are, those are all worthy, um, worthy arguments. Um, you know, uh, first on, on the second thing you said, uh, 
I think the church has been intentional about this right from the start. Um, you know, it starts small and with a couple of people. Philip mm-hmm. goes to Samaria and tells people about Jesus. Peter gets called up to the house of Cornelius, and you know, uh, suddenly the gospel's now in the hands of the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch, and you know, have this vision of taking the gospel to Asia and. They get sent to do that. So, I mean, you know, you can actually see the ball get rolling. We, we have a great, you know, movie of that in the book of Acts, you know, of a, a travelogue, if you will, of how all of that, all that began. So I, I think there has been an intentionality to this from the beginning. And um, I'm, you know, I guess flatter myself by thinking that, you know, what we're working on with the fund is just a continuation of that 2000 year long mm. uh, desire. Here's what's interesting, though, about the are we really close to finishing? So uh, Rick Warren, who is the new leader of finishing the task, uh, has a great model for the Great Commission. He talks about the three B's of the Great Commission, three B's. He's a Southern Baptist pastor, right? So the sermon has to have three points, that are <laughs> three, three B's, right? So um, believers in every people group, uh, the Bible in every language and a body of Christ, a church in every place within walking distance of every person on the planet. Hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, the I'm focused heavily on the first B, uh, you know, getting the gospel to the last few people groups. And I think, like I said, we'll cross that finish line probably first and within the next year or two, by God's grace. But the folks that are working on Bible translation have set a goal of 2033 for having the Bible, at least some part of the New Testament in every language by 2033. And uh, the church planning world, the networks that are working on that have set, uh, well, they have various deadlines, some as soon as 2025, but uh, ultimately 2033, as well as a deadline for that goal of having a church literally in ev- within walking distance of every person on the planet. So um, it's not just the you know, every ethno-linguistic people group goal that's within reach, these other goals are also amazingly coming into um, into reach. And so it may not be next year or the next year when we finish. I think of these as kind of being successive finish lines in the in the race, if you will. Uh, and um, but, you know, all of them are, you know, within just an arm's length of where we are, you know, 10 years or so from from now. So that that's one reason I would say I think that um, we probably better, we're probably more likely to be right when we think we're getting close than maybe some of our brothers and sisters in uh, in the past have thought. Mm. And then what, how would you um, how would you push back on the argument that I've also heard it said that we've had um, Christianity has had a presence in places that where it has died off. Like yep. you look at places like the UK and we're experiencing that in the United States right now, right? We're yep. starting a flat line. The church is declining. Yep. And so these places where there has been a, a Christian presence and that has either dissipated or is going away entirely. Mm-hmm. It, like, is it cyclical or is it like, Hey, that place is checked off. And, and so um, not that we don't continue to try to, make disciples in those places. But um, how would you push back against that argument that there's just like this constant 
coming and going of, of Christianity potentially in some of those places, if we don't continue to keep a focus on making disciples in those places that we have already reached. Kind of ebbing and flowing, you know, if you will. Um, so we should continue to do that. The church is in those places, even, you know, in places like the United Kingdom. I listen every morning to, um, uh, you know, a, 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 the Bible in one year from Nikki Gumbel uh, from a church there in <laughs> London. And, you know, so the church is powerfully in the UK, mm-hmm. not like it once was, although you wonder if you had put that old church to the test when, you know, when the dross was burned away, would there have been much more than what we currently find? It's that That's an interesting question. Probably there would have been, but, you know, those things are hard to, to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously those churches in all of those places, United States, you know, Europe, wherever, are always called to be reaching out to their neighbors and friends and sharing the, the love of Christ with them. And so, you, you know, that work continues to this day. I, I personally think that the Bible predicts kind of exactly what we're seeing in our world today um, in, in the prophecies about the end times, that two things will be happening simultaneously, that the church where it has been established will be growing weaker and worse. Um, you know, there'll be apostasy and false teachers and mm-hmm. falling away. Uh, but at the same time, the church will be expanding into places where it has never been and there will be a, a great harvest taking place around the world that, um, uh, you know, will probably more than make up for what's being lost. And, and I, mm-hmm. I think that's exactly where we are today. I, I think that there are millions of Muslims that are coming to faith in Jesus probably every month uh, based on, you know, the seat I have uh, and just what I know is happening. Certainly every year, millions. It may be millions a month. Um, no, and, what's I happening know, in Iran and Afghanistan is incredible, and yeah, nobody knows about it. Right, nobody West. knows about it. You know, Bihar um, <clears throat> State in India, where um, fifty years ago you would not have found ten thousand Christians, and probably way less than that, native Bihari Christians. Um, I've heard credible reports that there very well could be ten million Christians in Bihar State now. Now, you know, Bihar has. I think 180 million people in it or something, you know, the, the population numbers in India are so, you know, big that they just kind of boggle the mind. But yeah. you know, from 10,000 to 10 million in less than 50 years. And again, it's just not something that people are aware of. You know, it's not something that people know about. Yeah. What are some of the most telling signs we should be paying attention to as the church? About the possible return of Jesus? Yeah, if it, if it is indeed close, what are, what should we be really focused? I mean, aside from the obvious, like yes, going and making disciples, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Assuming that is in place, what are some of the things that we need to be paying attention to? Well, you know, um, there are other signs that I think are strong indicators. But where I'm being led in answering your question is just to think about individually what we want to be doing, right? So, um, think about. If we are the generation that is privileged to witness the return of Jesus, you know, the Bible calls that our blessed hope, something that, you know, generation upon generation of our ancestors in the faith have longed for. Um, If we're the generation that is privileged to see that, oh, my goodness, we want to be ready for that, you know, to the greatest extent possible. And, you know, the work of sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but it's a cooperative work. You know, it, it only 
ultimately proceeds as fast as we are willing to allow it to. We have to be committed to it so that he can do what um, he has, in t- you know, what he intends to do. I, I like um, a, a verse from Second Peter chapter three. We, we talked about that chapter a minute ago, but after Peter says all that stuff in verses 11 and 12 of chapter three, he says, um, you know, basically given that the world is going to be subject to judgment, he asks rhetorically, what kind of people ought you to be? He says, we should live holy and godly lives looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So, you know, holy, set apart, distinctive, different in a culture that is in decline. Um, we want to be sober, clear-minded, um, standing firm, faithful, obedient. You know, godly, I think that just means more and more like Jesus, right? Fruit of the mm-hmm. Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, you know, the, that list of things. We want to be pursuing those virtues in our life uh, by the power of the Spirit. Um, you know, eager uh, you know, looking forward to the day, uh, we want to be excited and eager about this. You know, this this Bible says over and over again that, you know, we are called to be excited about and expectant about the return of Christ. And, you know, I think that's a calling that we miss a lot in the West. We, we've talked about that, but we want to be eager. And then hastening the coming of that day. Well, h- how do we do that? Right. I mean, that's kind of one of those biblical mysteries. What in the world does that mean? But uh-huh. I, I relate it back to what we've been talking about that, you know, if the the kind of the key that unlocks that door is the completion of the Great Commission, then the one thing that I can think of that, that I can do, that we can do to hasten that is to um, be hard at work bringing that mission to a close. Um, and, you know, that's what the finishing fund is all about. We're, we're trying to accelerate that sprint to the finish, you know, pour fuel on the fire, if we, if you will, of, mm-hmm. you know, to get it burning faster so that, you know, we get that done as quickly as we possibly can. Ultimately, I think we'll find out that it's all been timed perfectly from the beginning. It's one of those mysteries, how the, our work and God's will, you know, fit together. But that command is that we should be hastening it. And so, you know, that's, that's how I feel like, you know, that's what I feel like God's called me to, to do to accomplish that, that command. Mm. And if he is again to return soon, how would you encourage ministry leaders as they encourage and lead their congregations and their networks and their ministries? Like, is is this a topic that we need to be talking about more often? I, I personally think so. Um, You know, if you, if you read what the Bible has to say about the last days, it's not very comforting, right? Um, it talks yeah. about the time of Jesus' return being like the days of Noah and the days of Lot, which are both periods of biblical history characterized by significant evil in the world. Um, it talks about the love of many will grow cold; that um, you know people will lie and it will will turn each other in, turn on each other. This is Christians here, you know, and so we are going to get to practice a whole bunch of great virtues that in the West we have not had much need for. Um, you know, we we know a little bit what it means to pray for your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, but most of us have never really experienced real persecution. But I think that's part of what we're going to see as we get closer to the end. And so I think pastors need, if I was a pastor, I would be um, continually thinking about what 
muscles do my people need to have better developed to be able to stand firm during what is going to going to come, you know, um, and, you know, really encouraging people in those directions. I think we're, we're kind of unprepared for a lot of that in the church in the West. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think a lot of that comes down to theology too. So if you're a, um, like not bashing one, one view or the other, but if, if you believe in pre-tribulation, like there's nothing to worry about, like we're going to all be sucked up before we have to deal with any of that struggle anyways. Right. So how to like, I think a, probably a lot of reason why, and I don't have stats to support this, but a lot of reasons why many organizations and churches and pastors don't talk about this is because if their theology is in line with uh, that type of um, belief, then we don't need to worry about it anyways. Like, yes, still be obedient, still go make disciples, but you don't really have to be all that prepared for persecution if we are removed from it. Right. So, yeah, I, um, you know, my view of it would be that, uh, it's going to get bad and then it's going to get worse and then it's going to get a lot worse. And so mm-hmm. we may get to miss the, a lot worse part. Um, you know, depending on your view, uh, we may only get to miss the most bad or the, <laughs> or, the or the sort of bad and really bad, but, but I, but either way, either theology there, we're still going to experience something. I think that's right. And, and, you know, and I think we already start to see that, you know, in, in the yeah. West, we're already beginning to see the first, first signs of that. So, um, but I, I think we're only, only, you know, hinting at it thus far, you know? So, um, yeah, you know, one of the things I try really hard not to do is, is, you know, pick fights with people about different points of view. I, I'm a, you know, kind of a classic, you know, pre-millennial, you know, I believe in a millennialist, I believe in a literal rapture followed by a seven year tribulation followed by a literal thousand year millennium. And, you know, in my reading of the Bible, that's the most plain and straightforward way. And I think it fits with what I see in the world, but it's interesting. Just before we got on the, on the podcast, I was uh, reading a series of articles from a brother who is a preterist and he was explaining his view that, you know, most of this stuff was accomplished in 70 AD. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't agree with that, but I, you know, I understand why people are led to different conclusions uh, mm-hmm. about these things. But, um, you know, I'm excited by the idea that um, Jesus is coming back, whether I get the order of things exactly right. And that, yeah. you know, what that means for me and for us as believers is that things are going to be wonderful forever. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm extremely excited about that. Oh, yeah. Man, Maranatha. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, as I want to transition a little bit, and we've got just enough time for maybe two more questions, but as a storytelling ministry, like that's our focus as an organization, right. mm-hmm. um, I always want to try to circle back to the conversation towards that focus. So Revelation twelve eleven, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for mm-hmm. their love, not their lives, even unto death. Mm-hmm. How important is storytelling or, or maybe said differently, how important is knowing and sharing your testimony as we near this potential end in however many decades? It is uh, extremely important. Um, you know, this is a responsibility, an opportunity that all of us share and have. Um, you know, for me, uh, the thing that launched me into this, you know, the kind of the the slingshot that, you know, really sent me flying on the finishing fund was 
um, investing in some projects to take the gospel to places and hearing the story of the first person in the history of the world to become a believer in a people group where there had mm. never been one. So cool. I call those first believer stories and I love first believer stories. I, I just heard another one the other day of a people group. I won't name the people group in a, in a uh, sub-Saharan African country. Okay. No believers ever in that place. Um, as far as anybody knows, this young man uh, was a kind of an outcast isolated in his group because he had, had epilepsy. Um, a missionary from uh, his country went to that place, met him, befriended him, began to visit with him, basically just showing him the love of God, showed him the Jesus film, uh, invited him into God's kingdom. He accepted the invitation became a believer, immediately became baptized, which is very unusual in Muslim areas, and um, and immediately then began working with that missionary to share the gospel. And so far now, there are two other um, men from that same people group who have accepted Jesus and been uh. baptized. And, you know, I just love that story. I would love to hear the story from his mouth of how he saw it, because that would be incredibly cool. I think I'm going to have to probably wait for the kingdom for that because, uh, you know, the language issues and the distances and the, the difficulties are so great. But uh, just hearing it from the point of view of the the missionary who was the witness to it was incredibly motivating to me. I just love those first believer stories. I, I think of each one of them as a, a little, maybe a big, you know, step toward the day when, you know, the the, the vision of John, uh, John had in Revelation 7 of men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation around the throne of God, uh, one more step towards seeing that literally mm. accomplished. Man, so encouraging. Um, do you feel the church needs to reevaluate how we've used or uh, I would even argue neglected the use of storytelling in the life of the everyday believer? You know, we just have, I think we've lost that in the West, right? You know, it, it, when yeah. you... When you travel, um, you find that people are amazing storytellers and amazing story conveyors. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a big movement. We, we, we touch on a little bit with the Finishing Fund of, you know, storytelling ministries as a way to engage and plant churches. Um, and, you know, what you find is that um, people are enormously skilled at learning and memorizing and then deliver, passing along story. It, it is a an amazing tool of gospel uh, propagation. We're just not good at it in the West. We want everything written down, organized, you know, rationalized. And so we kind of miss the the joy of that. Um, I'd love to see us, you know, recapture more of that and, and see that happen. And our church will from time to time have a video during our service of, you know, the story of how someone came to, you know, be a part of our church, came to be a part of God's kingdom. I love those. I just think it it's so authentic. It's so real to hear directly from someone what, um, you know, how God has, has worked in their life. Oh yeah. It's, a, it's so edifying to the church to know that we serve a God that's continually in pursuit of people's hearts and minds. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Doug, this has been incredible. I appreciate you being on the show. Can I pray for you in the finishing fund? That would be my my privilege. Thank you. Father, I just lift up Doug and um, his team at the Finishing Fund and his book, and then the end will come. Um, I just pray that these 
this ministry and Doug and this his book, this tool would be um, used to just uh, ignite hope in believers that um, you are still at work, that you are still um, at work in in redeeming humanity back to yourself, Lord, that the work you started 2,000 years ago with a few um, has just exploded into this incredible movement. And um, man, I just pray that the, the church, the, the church as a whole would have uh, a reignited excitement and fire um, around seeing you come again, father, like having that Maranatha cry. And so um, I thank you for Doug's um, heart and his willingness to, um, just be a part of that work and, and jump in and say yes to your invitation for him to be a part of that. And I pray that, uh, this fund would be successful father, that it would, um, fund incredible work and missionaries from all over the world to go to the places that have not been reached for you, for your name, for your glory, Lord. Um, and, uh, I pray that the book would, would be just used as a tool to bring awareness to the fund and to, um, to the seriousness of this this issue, Lord, that the church would just have a reignited excitement around seeing you come again. Lord, we love you. Um, and uh, we just so appreciate that you have invited us into this story. Um, yeah, we just lift up Doug. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Doug, how can get people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about the Finishing Fund or your book? Best place to start for the fund would be at our website, which is finishingfund.org. One word, finishingfund.org. And the book, it's a little bit of a long URL, but andthenetheendwillcome.com. One word, andthenetheendwillcome.com. Perfect. All right. I will put those links in the show notes as well. Doug, thanks for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Awesome. Have a good rest of your day. Likewise. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, If you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.